Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me. Like Scott said, I'm Pastor John from Boyne City. We've been up here from Arkansas and Alabama. We like to say Arklabama, kind of where we're from. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to bring the word. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning. Nostalgia isn't really that good of a thing because it's kind of deceptive, but I'm convinced that times were better before we had machines answering the phones. Aren't you? Before you had to press one and then seven and nine and four and two. And don't you just sometimes just, I just want to talk to a person. It was better in the 90s. I don't think we had that then. Not as much. Not like it is today. So impersonal. What you really want is to be known. And the good news, the good thing about being a pastor is I get to share good news. Is that God's not that way at all. God is not that way with us. And if you've ever wondered, does he know you personally? Does he care about you personally? I want you to think about this verse. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew what? You. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. A woman named Hagar, back in the book of Genesis found herself wandering in the desert and thought she was going to die with her child. She was prepared to give it all up when God showed up and saved her. And part of her response and her her praise was to say, I have seen him who looks after me. Very personal. I have seen this God who looks after me. How about the psalmist? Oh Lord, you have searched me. And you know me. We serve a God who is very personal with us. I think about Jesus when he was calling his disciples. One of them that was called, his his brother actually went and found him. And when he came back, Jesus said something very personal to him. And it surprised a man named Nathaniel. He said, how do you know me? Jesus said, before your brother ever went to go get you. While you were still sitting under that tree where he found you, I saw you. There was another woman. Jesus went to go get water from a well and he was sitting there and a conversation came up between the two. And he proved to her through the things he knew about her that she was the Messiah. And so she ran off into town and the word that she said was, come and see this man who told me, All that I ever did. He knew me. You know, God still works that way today. He's still very personal like that today. My wife, when she was originally saved, she was saved at seven years old. Her parents thought that she didn't understand. And so they were trying to, he was was heavily involved in the ministry at the time. And he wanted to make sure that she knew what the decisions she was making. So you can't be baptized. Talk about this first. And she started crying and she said, he died for me. That was what convinced them. Yeah, I think she really understands what's going on here. He died for me. It wasn't just for you or for the the church. It was for me specifically. Sometimes that's hard to believe. Does God know you personally? Does God interact with you personally? And today we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phones or tablets, 
We're going to go there. If you have this journey Bible that is on the chairs, it's page 1,289. I'll read from the ESV, and it's going to be, I believe, it'll be up on the screen as I go. But what I want to see today as we study this is what I'm calling a tale of two touches. It's two times that Jesus physically touched someone's life. And the first one, it was a woman who was very sick and she was healed. The second one was a little girl who had died and she was raised. These two touches of Jesus, so powerful. But then there's a third touch, actually, that doesn't, it isn't quite as obvious, but it's a spiritual touch on a man's heart. That because of the touch of Jesus on his daughter and because of the touch he saw on that other woman... It brought faith into this man's life. And i got to believe it changed him. So as we go through this today, I want you to feel the encouragement of knowing this one thing. This is what I want you to come away with knowing today. Jesus knows you personally. And he heals you with his touch. Is it true for you? How can you know for sure? Let's look at the examples I'm going to give you three spiritual truths as we go through this passage. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. The first spiritual truth I want you to see is that Jesus is not too busy to hear your request. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Kind of an odd detail, but when you think about how oppressive the crowd was, following him around so that they couldn't eat, following him around so that he couldn't stand on the land. I almost picture a scene like the Allies trying to get off the beaches of Normandy. You know, it's like, I can't get off. There's so much, so much keeping me here. This crowd swarms Jesus as soon as he comes. And then, verse 22, came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be made well and live. And look at those last words. And he went with him. So Jairus is a guy who's in a lot of trouble. He's got a major problem. And that problem is, first of all, that his daughter's dying. He needs some kind of help, and there's nobody else who can save her. But he's got some other problems there with it. For one is the crowd. Jesus is awfully busy. He can't even get off the beach. There are so many people who need so many things. Why would Jesus go with him? He's going to try. First thing he's got to do is get Jesus' attention and overcome the crowd. Moreover, he was a ruler, it says, of the synagogue. The synagogue was, was something that got started when the, the, the Jews had a temple where they worshipped, and that was destroyed. And while they had no temple, they, they created this thing called the synagogue. And it's a lot like church. They studied there and, and worshipped there, and they read the Bible together and fellowshiped there. And this guy is in charge of the synagogue. And so what that means is his pay is tied to that job. Well, (laughs) there was a time, Mark chapter 3, where a man with a withered hand was in that synagogue. 
And it was on the Sabbath day. Anybody remember this from Mark chapter 3? Jesus came in and he healed that withered hand on that man. And do you remember how well everybody just rejoiced? How they said, hey, we're going to have... This, this Sabbath day is now all about Jesus. And know it says that they left there and they plotted how to kill him. They hated him for what he did. A ruler of the synagogue. Now whether he was there or not, he's with those people. And may have been one of those people who rejected Jesus that day. He's got a real big problem because they want to kill him. And they've already said they want to kill Jesus. And they've already said that anyone who says that Jesus is the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue. His pay is on the line. His livelihood is on the line. He's got a serious problem. But my little daughter. If you're a parent, you know what that means, don't you? My job or my little daughter? That's not a thought. That's not a question at all. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And I know that Jesus can do this thing because I've seen it with my own eyes. And so he comes to Jesus with this broken heart. Which is what the scriptures say is required. A broken heart and a contrite spirit you will not despise. Is that true? Well, let's find out through Jairus. Does Jesus hold a grudge against this man? No, because he comes to him with a broken heart. He comes to him not as a ruler, but as a father. He comes to him finally willing to trust him. And it says, seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. I like that translation, but the actual Greek says he begs him much. It's present tense, first of all. He begs him much. Please, Jesus, please. Please. Will you please just come? He pours out his heart. He begs with all his heart. Come lay your hands on my little girl and touch her because I know that your touch will make her live. And he went with him. How personal. How personal. This giant crowd of people all around and there's one guy. He went with him. You ever felt distant like that? Have you ever felt unseen by God? It's a bad place to be, isn't it? You feel like God's too busy. Or like God is ignoring you. Your prayers aren't reaching Him. I want you to remember that Jesus knows you personally. I want you to be encouraged knowing that He heals you with His touch so He's not too busy to hear you. He's not too busy to walk with you and to know you. He doesn't always give us exactly what we want. He doesn't always do it exactly how we want it. He doesn't always do it exactly when we want it. In fact, it's almost never any of those. But it's always right. It's always for good. It was true for Jairus. He was there. And it's true for you too. Not a blessing. God is right here with us. Like the good shepherd in the 23rd Psalm. He knows right where to lead us and how to do it. But it doesn't go without some tension, without an unexpected bump in the road. This is where we're going to see the second spiritual principle here is in the rest of verse 24, where we'll see that Jesus doesn't ignore anyone who comes to him. He doesn't ignore anyone who comes to him. And so you think, well, that's great. He singled out Jairus out of this whole crowd. What about other people? 
If you come to him, he doesn't ignore you. Look at the rest of verse 24. It says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, pressed in from every side, could barely move. Imagine that was very frustrating for Jairus. We need to get to my house, he's saying. And this crowd won't let us. But then it gets worse for him. Verse 25, there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. In the Old Testament, in God's law, chapter 15, we read that a woman who has a discharge is considered unclean. You cannot come into the temple to worship. The holiness of God is so holy. You cannot come into the temple to worship. But this woman had been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Anything that she touched became unclean. Any person she touched became unclean. So if she sat on a bed and then you sat on the bed, the next day you became unclean. For 12 years she lived this way. Imagine what that did to her social life. How many friends had her over for lunch? I mean, there was a way to become purified after. It wasn't like a total loss, but it was a lot of work to be her friend. To be near her. What about her husband? What about her children? She couldn't really cook the food every night. She couldn't hug her children. She couldn't touch their clothes. She was in a bad spot. And even more than that, her spiritual life was so hindered She can't go to the synagogue. She can't go to the temple. She can't go anywhere. She might touch anything and make it impure. And she wanted to fix this very badly. So she suffered much under many physicians. Now, medical industry was lacking back then, as you might guess. Some of the prescriptions that they had for her were just very empty and humiliating. Things like eat a certain food or boil this and that and drink it. and Smearing clay all over her. If you do this, then that. My favorite one was a jump scare. She had to sit at a crossroads and a guy comes up and scares her. It doesn't do anything. It's just empty prescriptions. But she keeps doing them because she feels like, I have to find salvation from this. I have to be healed. She keeps doing it to the point that she's broke. She has no more money to give. She's seen every doctor in the region. She's given all that she has. And not only is she not better, but she's worse. So she comes to Jesus torn down from disappointment. Just torn down. You understand that? Any of you in a season of life where just nothing seems to be going your way? If you're not there... You will be there if you live long enough. You will find that things just don't go your way. And she needs something that actually works. I need something real. I'm searching and I'm searching and nothing is able to help. If I don't get clean, I'm never going to be clean. 
In this way, I, I think she couldn't be any more different from Jairus. Here Jairus has had 12 years of joy with this little girl. She's had 12 years of horrible time. Here's Jairus, a respected leader at the synagogue, who makes his pay there. And here's this unclean woman, no name, who can't even go inside. I want you to look what happens, verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Where would she get an idea like that? I think it starts right there in verse 27. She heard the reports. I don't know much about this guy. I do know he can save me, though, if I can just touch him. And so she does. In verse 29, immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? <laughs> and his disciples, Luke, records that it was actually Peter, which is no surprise said to him, you see the crowd pressing in around you. And yet you say, who touched me? Jesus, you can't be serious. This can't be real. You are being thronged by this crowd. You couldn't even get off the beach. Who touched you? And he looked around to see who had done it. Kind of ignores Peter. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him, the whole truth. She preached the Gospels, what she did. I've got good news. This was the first touch, the first of the two touches. Jesus felt it because it was personal to him. The healing was personal to him. The power was personal to him. He felt it when she touched him. I find that very interesting and very comforting that though many thronged about Jesus. Many people came into contact with Jesus. There was only one who touched him. That was the difference. So he says, who? And it's a rhetorical question. I mean, he saw Nathaniel under that tree. He knew the Samaritan woman inside and out before she ever spoke a word. God knows us. He knows our... It's, there's a psalm that says, before my first day started, all the days of my life were written in your book. Before day one, you knew the last one. You know me inside and out. And Jesus, he knows this woman, but he says, who touched me? Who touched me? She comes there and she just tells him the whole truth. She says, oh, I was unclean. And I've been suffering. But I knew you could heal me. Please forgive me for touching you. I know I'm unclean and I touched you, but I'm not unclean anymore. She sits there on the ground, waiting on his response. Jesus, I had to try. How's he going to respond? Look at verse 34. And he said to her, daughter. That's got to be a good sign. Your faith has made you well. Hmm. Go in peace 
and be healed of your disease. Isn't that good news? She preached the gospel to him and he preached it right back. It's all about you, Jesus. Yes, it is. Now go in peace and be healed. How personal. How personal is this God? This is how God views his children. I'm, I'm convinced that's why he called her daughter. By the way, Jairus, Jairus is dealing with his daughter and Jesus never calls another person in the New Testament daughter. This is the only time. How convenient. I see my own children. And I feel your need. And I meet it. I imagine, look over there at Jairus. I know. Daughter. I'm not too busy. You're not going to be ignored. You are loved and accepted by me, and I want you to be whole. Your faith has made you well. Go now in peace and be healed of your disease. What about when you struggle with the same thing, though? What's the gospel here for you personally? I mean, there it is. Your faith is what makes you well. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, faith is what makes you well. If you're struggling with sin, or if you have some kind of thing that's just hanging over your head or weighing on your shoulders, it's faith that makes you well. But not just faith in like, I just believe. I believe in Christ. I believe He can make me well. And so though I'm unworthy, I'll find peace. Oh, I'm unclean. But He says, be at peace. You're at peace with God. If I feel... Like I'm unheard. Anybody ever pray like that? You just pray and you think, God, do you even hear me? Do you even know what's going on? This woman prayed for 12 years until she was completely broke. And it was in God's perfect timing that she was healed. Find comfort there. Find comfort there. My family and I had a year of downtime between here and where we were in Alabama. And it was hard. There were days it did not feel like God heard me. But it was perfect timing. feel like God is uncaring I want to tell you this he's transforming you he uses that pain to purify you and wants to make you whole it's true Jesus knows you personally and he wants to heal you with his touch so he is not too busy to hear your requests and he doesn't ignore anybody who comes to him I can imagine the crowd right there what would you have done if you'd have seen that? If you saw this woman and you knew who she was, and all of a sudden she's clean, wouldn't you rejoice for her? <sighs> he did it again. Isn't this wonderful? And I imagine everybody's over there, oh man, isn't this great? Look at them. He healed her. I bet he can heal me. I bet he can heal you. This is amazing. We're all happy. And there's Jairus over there by himself. I just really need you to come with me. Come on. She could have suffered another hour. My daughter's going to die. Well, he's about to learn the third spiritual truth here. And that is that Jesus gives life to those who believe. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking with this woman, there came forth from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Don't skip past that. 
Read that as a parent. Think of one of your own children. Your daughter's dead. It's too late. Let's not bother the teacher any further. But overhearing what they said, (laughs) oh, the crowd is there clamoring. Jesus can hear this one conversation. Jesus said to him, do not fear, only believe. In this, he gives him both a command and a promise. Don't fear. Just believe. I promise you it's going to be okay. You believe that? Can you believe that, Jairus? This is where that spiritual touch starts. Mark doesn't tell us what he said, but it tells us what happens next, and you just got to read it and believe. Hey, he must have been like, okay. All right, if you say it. I can't shake the bad feeling. But you said it's going to be okay. And I saw what you did to this woman. I think you can do it for me. Verse 37. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. And verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Most of these people, back then they had, they hired people to come and mourn at a funeral. Believe it or not, they actually did that. They didn't believe and they didn't have a lot of concern. So when he said that to them, he says that, and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Isn't that what you would want to hear? As a parent, if this were your child, isn't this exactly what you would want to hear? Little girl, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and walked around, for she was 12 years old. I do not understand that connection there. Like 12-year-olds are known for walking around, I guess. (laughs) And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. Because this wasn't the time yet. The, the Messiah was being revealed. So he said, don't do it yet. And told them to give her something to eat. This second touch is the touch of life. Mm. This second touch is the touch of life. This is the touch we all need. If Jesus gives this touch, he gives us eternal life. And not just eternal life. It's life that is to the full, abundant life. I want to tell all of you today that this is the touch you need. Even if you don't need the other touch, this one you do need. You need to have this eternal life that He offers and this abundant life that He has. He gives it because He knows you personally and wants you to be healed. 
And so because of that, he isn't too busy to hear your request. And because of that, he doesn't ignore anyone who comes to him in faith. So he gives life to all who believe. What does this mean for you personally? How do you make this personal? I'm going to give you just a few things here. Four. The first one is, since it's true that Jesus knows you personally and heals you with his touch, I want you to rejoice and worship him. Can you imagine a better God? He knows us personally. Who am I? Who is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I of all the people on the earth that you're mindful of me? I can say that and you can say that. He knows your first day to your last before creation. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you would know my sins and still love me. That you would know my fears and be there to calm them. You know my hopes. You know my desires. You know my wants. You know my needs. You know everything there is to know about me. And you are powerful and majestic and holy and terrifying. You are so big, so beyond anything that I could ever be. I am so unworthy to come near you. That's what the whole sacrificial system was about, is you can't get to God. But He makes a way. He's not just some force that exists. He's not some genie in a bottle. He is the very personal God who cares for and knows you. And He's near And he hears. Rejoice. Worship him. Second thing is, if it's true that he's not too busy to hear your request, make it known to him right now. You don't have to wait. Right now. Make your request known to him. God, I need. I am struggling. Will you help me? Just offer those prayers. If you need to be saved this morning, just pray right now. Jesus, save me. Give me the faith that you gave to Jairus. Grant me repentance. God, I need help with my kids. I need help at work. I need help with something in my school or something with my spouse. And you're the God who's personal. You're near and you care. You'll let me be singled out. Help me. What if you get no answer? Well, he's aware. It's all in his timing. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So implore him. He's not too busy. Number three, he doesn't ignore anyone who comes to him. So come to him now. You feel like you're unclean? I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to be in God's presence. You know what? That's a good place for you to be because you're absolutely right. Without the righteousness of Christ, you have no business being near God. You'll be like those other people who saw God and fall down in terror. Isaiah said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm ruined. It's all over. 
because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Very appropriate response. But then God takes that coal symbolically, touches it to his lips, and he says, now you're clean. He can make you clean. So if you have all this shame and this guilt, whether as, as someone who has never followed Christ before, or someone who is following him now, and you say, but I'm living this way and I know it's wrong. How's he going to respond? I can tell you how he'll respond. He's not going to show preference. Pastors don't get more love and grace than people who sit out there. He sees us all exactly the same. The ruler of the synagogue was not special compared to the unclean woman. They were both people in need and children of God. doesn't matter how much money you have or don't. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed or haven't. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. None of it matters. You can come. If you're thirsty, he'll give you drink. If you're hungry, he'll give you food. If you are sick, he will make you well. If you are poor, he will make you rich. If you're lowly, he'll raise you up. If you're tired, he'll give you life. And if you're dying, he gives it to you eternally. Celebrate that. Celebrate that. God's interest in you and his attention and affection towards you to make you pure. Number four, he gives life to those who believe. So what should you do? You should believe and receive that life right now. Life eternal and life abundant. A bonus could be that you live this gospel out. You say, I hear this, I believe this, I receive this. God knows me, I love him for it, and I want to follow him all my life. All right then, do what he did. Make time for other people. Single them out. Don't differentiate. And you preach life. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your touch. Thank you for your life and your interest in us. God, may we be a blessing to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Before you go, there will be some people over here who will pray for you. If you want that prayer, you can talk to them or you can talk to me. We'd be happy to do it. And as you go this week, may you be blessed. May you be blessed in such a way as to be able to wait for God's timing confidently knowing that he's going to answer your requests. And through that, may you preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.